Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Oh my God. Okay. We made it through. We got through that part. Hi. Welcome back. We're doing it again. Recording it again. (laughs) (laughs) This is Mark's Madness pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will be taking you back to our reading of Blood in My Eye momentarily. All right. We've gotten fully through the intro, guys. Fully through <laughs> the intro. You cannot stop us now. The third time's the charm. We did it. Uh, that being said, we will be taking you back to Blood in My Eye uh, momentarily. Yes. Uh, but first, some brief disclaimers. Nathan has been ill this week. So if my voice does not do what it normally does, I sincerely apologize. Maybe you prefer my sickly tones. Maybe that's maybe that's a thing you like. And if so... Welcome to Sick Nathan Town. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, it's going to be a bit of a current events heavy episode, and the current events we're going to get into are extremely triggering potentially. Uh, please, this is, should not be a surprise for this episode show. We we go into these kind of topics at length, often, all the time. But uh, if if the recent uh, uh, violent acts of white supremacy across this country and other such very traumatic events are are potentially troubling for you, please feel free to skip forward to roughly like 25, 30 minutes. We'll, we'll be done by then. Uh, that being said, David, take it away with our As the World Turns style current events where everything just keeps getting worse and nothing is fine. It's been it's been hectic lately. Yeah. Um, it's it's also, unfortunately, in American American neatness. And by that, I mean white supremacy expressed with guns. Um, kind of a point where I'm trying to remember where in the timeline of mass shootings uh, we are because it's been that brutal of a week. Uh, I believe we had already talked about the shooting in East Buffalo at the grocery store that had killed between 10 and 12 people. Um, we did not. We did not. Holy God. No. We did not. <laughs> okay, so that jumps in there. Uh, I know. Recording is, this is a, we, we record these so far in advance and our time between okay. recording can vary, so uh, it, it can get confusing. But no, we have not talked about the Buffalo shooting in any capacity up to this point. So before we get into this, because there's going to be a lot of tying back to this, okay, a, a few things to discuss with within the capacity of the United States, okay? Gun ownership here just floors anywhere else in the world and that's not because of gun laws there's places with stricter gun laws there's also places with more lenient gun laws that's very much a byproduct of our white supremacist history our bloated military um most gun owners are cops former cops or veterans um from the military right our bloated police force and of course bloated prison industrial complex by extension um and just the fact that we have the top five weapons manufacturers locally, and when you make the most weapons in your country, you're going to have the most weapons in your country. Um, and that has led some people on the left, and this is why it's more of a liberal thing to be like, oh, you know, gun control. And I get the gist of that, right? Um, you know, gun control in the first place was written because Ronald Reagan was scared of the Black Panthers. Let's be very clear about that. Um, and we know, and this is why we're against it, um, you know, we are abolitionists after all, that if it's signed into law, it's not coming down on the wealthy white supremacists or the former cops or the, the veterans or, you know, who are hoarding the guns and carrying out these white supremacist actions. 
it would come down on especially black and indigenous people and, and individual owners, especially lower income owners. Uh, we also know that that legality is a shield from those effects of being more extreme, but that is already what happens, right? You know, a white supremacist, um, especially if they are white, as, as most but not necessarily all white supremacists are, um, can shoot people and be taken into custody alive when people, you know, accused of God knows what can be killed in the streets, cops or judge, jury, executioner, you know, I mean, just last month, right, we had a woman um, who, well, I guess that's not necessarily a police shooting, so that's a little off track for if we're talking about Shandell Riley, um, who mysteriously died the second she was able to, you know, sue a cop for raping her and forcibly baptizing her. Um, but even, you know, just among formal cop shootings, right, there's 900 to 1,000 that, that we know about every year, right? And, and we suspect cops kill more than that every year, and it's just not documented that well. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the case that sticks out, of course, is Philando Castile, right? He was a licensed gun owner. He um, worked in an elementary school serving kids food. He told the cop he had his gun, and the cop just reacted and shot him completely unprovoked and killed him right in front of his girlfriend and child. This was six years ago. Um, but so feels right. But something like that happens all the time, right? Um, so the legality is just a shield against extremity, but as it's always going to be, is rich, especially wealthy, especially white, and especially in the police and military force, people are going to have access to guns basically unfettered. And, you know, people, especially ethnic minorities and poor people, are going to not really have a true legal right to, to arming themselves, right? And it's going to be seen as a threat to anyone else's life and licensed to shoot them. And of course, if they're unarmed, that's also just licensed to shoot them. That's, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a horrible, horrible country we have, right? Um, and that's why we're not, not for um, the gun control. But again... You know, this is a situation where there's lots of white supremacy in the United States and there's lots of guns. And mostly because of the white supremacy, we get mass shootings. And these are things that have climbed up more and more over time as fascism has gotten more and more overt. You know, I mean, this is something I remember Columbine. Um, I think we've talked about on here before, right? Those kids were Nazis. And, and we always got the story. They're bullied. They're bullied. There's a whole like anti-bullying campaign and what we do about school shootings and expanded cops in school and all that shit. And no one just mentioned that those kids were Nazis. Overwhelmingly, right? Um, mass shooters are overtly white supremacists. Not totally, but overwhelmingly. Um, they're, they're overt white supremacists. When they're not, they're within one degree of separation of an overt white supremacist. Right. Uh, and that's never talked yeah. about. We always talk about guns and then people like reverse engineer mental illness to, to harm people with mental illness with these narratives and let, you know, the guns and the white supremacy off the hook because that would, that would dare reexamine, um, our system. So there was a grocery store, I think Tops is the name of it. Uh, Tops, yeah. Where a 18 year old, um, an 18-year-old white supremacist uh, wearing a sun and rad, which is the the black sun. Um, we see that you know plastered all over the Ukrainian Nazis, right? This this guy openly admired uh, the shooter from the Christchurch shooting, who by the way was trained by the Azov Battalion, um, and he went into this grocery store to kill people and killed. I think it was 
10 people was the final count. Yeah, killed 10 people. There was even a point where he pointed a gun at someone who was scared for their life. He realized that person was white and he apologized and just moved on to shoot the next person for daring to be black. Right. I mean, this, this, this person was a fucking monster. And of course, just gets taken in alive and gets like confused. Like, what could be the motive and debate on, and there's no examination on. Like, this is our country's history. We were the inspiration for, for Nazis. You know, we were explicitly cited by several Nazis, including Hitler himself, especially with regards to the, the Lebensraum, but also, you know, with regards to the Black Codes being um, um, influenced, you know. The Nazi ideology was designed off the United States and its white supremacy. And then, you know, um, Nazis have existed here separately for a while and, and have been a growing contingent. And then, of course, fascists have been funded overseas to try to attack communism and official American enemies, even if they aren't communist, for decades upon decades. And right now, very explicitly, the U.S. is backing very explicit Ukrainian Nazis. Um, and has been for, God, is it almost nine years now? It was 2014. It was eight years. And then the, the Russian invasion this February. I guess it's only been three months since the Russian invasion. God, the world is spinning fast. Yeah, it's moving fast. Uh, and, you know, so, so this person had killed 10 people. And we have to be able to tie that to these current events. Um, speaking of, the United States was bombing Somalia, you know, the second Ukraine was, was involved, but it was a very loose drone bombing. It's very different to go in with a couple thousand troops and fully invade. Um, the U.S. needs another forever war. So when Afghanistan gets shut down very sloppily, um, and we weren't sure what it was, you know, was it maybe it turning 20, but Iraq's going to turn 20 next year. And I know that's, that's embarrassing too, um, for them, but they're, you know, they're going to keep that forever. We're going, they've got the public sold. It seems like the hasty pull out of Afghanistan was to reallocate towards, you know, against China, towards AFRICOM, and especially now with this ramp up in Somalia and also this threat. There's, there was two house bills passed, one explicitly, uh, sent troops into Somalia. The other one was to send troops anywhere against supposed Russian influence. Um, but it's really just to, you know, attack and take over and colonize Africa. Um, we're past. This is all past while these, these shootings are happening, by the way. They, our priorities are to colonize Africa while this is happening, just like our priorities are to send more weapons to Ukraine while baby formula is running out. Um, and. You know, in the midst of this, the, the U.S. is ramping up full-scale invasion of, of Somalia, not to the level like Iraq and stuff. It's a small number of troops, but the, the, the highest level, like, you know, they ever tend to in AFRICOM, which is a pretty big, deadly and brutal operation. Um, you know, so that's that's also happening. Um, and, and the U.S., of course, is sending $40 billion to Ukrainian Nazis and weapons instead of the baby formula, as aforementioned, and is still not addressing COVID, which, oh my God, cases are spiking up everywhere on that. And we now have a new disease called monkeypox, which just sounds scary as shit. Because why the fuck wouldn't you? Because why the right, fuck wouldn't why you? The fuck we're, just doing, we're just doing the movie Congo now. So everybody, you know, everything is terrible. And then after that, um, there was a second shooting. Was it the next day or two days later? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was in there. There were a couple. Right. And these were these were targeting specifically Asian population. The first one was in Laguna Woods. Uh, there was one casualty, Dr. John Chang, uh, who was. Uh, a you know family physician right and had actually there would have been more casualties but uh, Dr. Chang had actually subdued 
the gunman very heroically. Um, there were six other people, I believe, injured in that one. Um, and the church is a regular, you know, Taiwanese, uh, mostly Taiwanese visited church in California and, and basically in the outskirts, you know, south of, of LA, between LA and, and San Diego. Uh, and the shooter was from Las Vegas. And the shooter themselves was American, uh, had been born and raised in Taiwan. The headlines first started coming out, and it was a Chinese man shot a Taiwanese church in California. And it was like, wait a minute. So, first, if you're Taiwanese, born and raised your whole life, um, you get to be Chinese. So, now Taiwan gets to be part of China, as long as we get to demonize shooters as China. But then before you even finish saying that, in that same breath... All of a sudden, it's back to a distinct people when they get to be the victims. And so, in one sentence, they kind of flip this to, like, their Han supremacy narrative, even though this is in American soil, deadly civilian mass shooting, right? Instead of focusing on the tragedy or how it happened or anything like that. And just when you thought that coverage was bad enough, someone went out and interviewed the shooter's roommate. Now, the shooter shooter's roommate isn't a nobody, okay? The shooter's roommate is a man named Jordan Davis, who is a, a very well-known proud boy, um, has been interviewed before after a, a white supremacist mass shooting. Do you remember the train shooting in, in Portland? Vaguely, but God, that's depressing because yeah. they're all running together. Yeah. In, in 2017, there was a, a train shooting in Portland by a neo-Nazi, and... Um, then, you know, a few days later, there was a Patriot Prayer rally. Again, you know, I mean, <laughs> neo-Nazis are going to neo-Nazi, right? And mm-hmm. an outspoken proud boy, this is someone who posts regularly, you know, praise of Hitler and, and sonnet rads and everything on their social media. is open, overt neo-Nazi named Jordan Davis, uh, you know, who regularly talked about, like, the, when the caravan narrative came in, um, he talked about them as like an, inve- an invasion and investation and, and basically saying that, you know, they had to die and they had to be shot out in the desert and before they crossed the river and things like that. He's just a, a monstrous person and uh, was giving a, 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 you know, interview uh, to make it sound like, oh, no, no, this has nothing to do with the shooting. This is just a conservative event because we support Donald Trump right there. And then all of a sudden this, you know, um, Taiwanese American man um, who shot the up the Taiwanese American church um, in California who had traveled from Las Vegas. His Las Vegas roommate is an overt proud boy neo-Nazi um, and was giving this cushion interview where there was no examination of who the roommate was. It was just, oh, the shooter's roommate. That's how Jordan Davis was portrayed in the article. No information whatsoever about who Jordan Davis is. Um, and it, he's like, oh, he was a nice guy, you know. He can't, and again, you know, the nice guy, you couldn't believe it narrative, right? It's just a crazy thing. We can't believe it, you know. And, and again, that that pushes back into like retrofit fitting mental illness, and there's always shooters running among us, and and um, bump the cops. You basically gave a neo Nazi like, what narrative do you want to spin on this shooting? And and just gave him carte blanche to say whatever the fuck he wanted, right? Meanwhile, Jesus. Yeah. Meanwhile, there was another shooting in Dallas, I want to say. I believe so, yes. Um, in Dallas at a Korean hair salon, too. Because, again, Sinophobia um, is something that runs rampant along with white supremacy, and especially when we're demonizing, you know, China. Um, and Sinophobia doesn't just mean specifically hating people for being Chinese. It's, it's very much a hatred against anyone East Asian, 
you know, Sinophobia was, was rampant when people hated Japan, even though Japan is a radically different country, because racists see that as the same people, right? And the same thing. They don't care how different those countries are, how conflicting those histories are, how different the people are, that they shouldn't be hating, just like they don't care that they shouldn't be hating anybody, and they're not better than people, and, and things like that, right? They don't care. To them, it's all the same, right? Um, and, and so, you know, Sinophobia running rampant. I think this gunman was um, a black man, but again, you know, um, there's it was definitely a hate crime. There was definitely some Sinophobia motivating these shootings, um, and this all happened within a couple days. It was very, very quick, very tragic. Meanwhile, buried in that news, do you remember when the big shooting of the day? was a subway shooting that there was no excuse for the NYPD with their ramped up subway poor person harassing under Eric Adams um, letting go that had just injured people. And then he was tracked down by uh, a, I believe a service worker, like a a waiter at a restaurant or something. Security installation guy. Yeah. 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 Something like that. I mean, he was some service worker that that basically caught him out on the street. Right. Mm. Well, (laughs) um, Apparently, the... I don't know this story, so get ready for me to be upset. Okay. Apparently, the person that had apprehended the shooter um, or the the people that had helped with this and had talked to the police about it are staring down the barrel of deportation, basically as a result of coming in contact with the cops. Absolutely. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I... Yeah. Please explain why, David. I <laughs> oh, trust me, trust me. I don't. I don't think there is a why. I. I think the only why is because this is a racist fucking country, and they don't want crime. Actually, I mean, crime. So, crime is a boogeyman for them. It's not a real thing, right? It's you broke our arbitrary bullshit set of colonial white supremacist laws. But as far as like crime and the nebulous, like shooting people bad. Right. Or making someone's life harder and, and assaulting the bad, you know, real what people think of as crime, solving that, protecting people. That's not cops job. Right. Coming down on people for daring to oppose America or being non-white or having any kind of mind on their own um, or, you know, opposing property, anything like that. That's cops real job. Right. Their job is white supremacy. Their job is guarding property. Uh, their job is upholding capitalism very, very violently and doing the bidding of the overwhelmingly uh, white, overwhelmingly male, um, wealthy ruling class overlords, right? I mean, that that's what they do, and that's what they've done, uh, especially the NYPD, the, the, what is it, the seventh biggest military in the world? Something like that, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they basically bully the, the mayor around the way the Nazis in Ukraine bully whoever's president around. We can go back to, we're not going to go back to that whole discussion. I really don't think... Zelensky was a born in in the wool Nazi, and I don't think it matters. <laughs> I think he actually wanted no. to to you know oppose Poroshenko, and it didn't matter. As soon as he was in office, he's not who had power, and 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 of course he's probably wrapped his own ideology back around so that he can feel like he's in the right. But that's you know that's not what's that's not what was really happening there. Meanwhile, <laughs> through all this, um. You know, in Canada, uh, are you familiar? We, we're familiar here with Christia Friedland. 
Um, um, yeah, of course I am, David, and uh, totally not for me, but for the audience. Can you explain who that is? Yeah, so Christia Freeland, most importantly, is the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada. She's the second most popular or popular, powerful uh, person in the country. Obviously, we all knew this. We yes, all knew this. Yeah. Um, and, of course, a longtime MP. Um, she is the granddaughter of a high-ranking Nazi propaganda, specifically high-ranking Nazi propagandists, where among, like, other Nazis, you know, Jews were had their things seized, right? Like, Deutsche Bank got all kinds of money seized from Jewish, you know, victims of the Holocaust. There was also all kinds of of tools for, you know, Nazi business owners and, and propagandists and things like that. And so a, a Jewish man who had owned a newspaper had his printing equipment stolen after he was killed in the Holocaust by Christy Freeland's um, Nazi grandfather to work as a Nazi propagandist. Now, this is important in the sense of like knowing where people come from and knowing how rehabilitated Nazis are and, and how a lot of the famous people, you know, have surprising, you know, um, Nazi connections or white supremacist connections, you know, like Cara Delvin and Arnold Schwarzenegger, but also like Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't go around praising his father as some kind of hero and, 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 you know, saying his father is his political inspiration and shit like that. Christy Freeland did that with her grandfather for years and would come after you as Russian disinformation anytime you accurately reported who her grandfather was, right? She's also been a major proponent of uh, funding Azov <laughs> um, in Ukraine. Surprise! Surprise. Uh, she's had several, you know, issues where her white supremacy is a little exposed, such as running around holding a UPA flag that says Slava Ukraini across it. So the flag and slogan of Nazi collaborators, just proudly posting that on social media and trying to encourage people to say Slava Ukraini with her and having to go back and delete it when people are like, that's some Nazi shit, <laughs> right? Um, just to save face. So, as this inflation is exploding, right, um, and Canada, United States, the same thing, right? You have two parties, one supposedly left, um, and they call themselves, we call, ours calls themselves Democrats, and we casually call them liberals. In Canada, I think they're called liberal Democrats or just liberals. Um, mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that sounds accurate. Yeah, it's the same party as Trudeau, right? Um, and, and then the other, you know, conservative party, right, essentially the Republicans, and, and they all you know, cynically call each other's actual wrongs out from time to time, as long as it doesn't overly expose how they're wrong. But all that cynical call out is hypocritical. They all stand for the same thing, yada, yada, yada. And Christy Friedland is probably the most right wing in that liberal party. She might as well be in the other party, right? Yeah. So the other party called out because there's a conspiracy in Canada now. Um, mind you, Canada is where there was the whole trucker, you know, anti-masking bullshit a few months ago. There's a conspiracy among the Canadian conservatives that gas prices are high because Trudeau wants that. So people have to go to clean energy. It's a, it's a plot. It goes right to the top, Nathan, right to the top. <laughs> um, and so the conservative MPs are doing this in Congress and, and then it goes to Christia Friedland. And instead of her saying like, this is bullshit. You're an idiot. Gas prices are going up everywhere. She goes, well, you're doing Putin's work. Gas prices are going up everywhere because Putin bad says nothing about sanctions, right? Cause Putin bad, bad, bad. All Putin rah, rah, Ukraine horrible bullshit politically motivated stuff but not shocking for her and then for some fucking reason 
and remember, zero COVID is a policy of China's. It's not one policy. It's just, you know, don't let people die of COVID and, and strategically lock down. And it's not called zero COVID in China. We all call that here in the West just because we like catchy names for policies, right? You know, um, we can't talk about the fall of Yugoslavia without saying like the Dayton Accords or something like that. You know, you can't say <laughs> you can't say that agreement that ended the first Yugoslav War or something. You know, you got to have a catchy name because we all are very often talking about the Dayton Accords, just, the end of the first Yugoslav War. I just feel like that's that's a good example of something that unnecessarily has a catchy name. Okay, I mean, Obamacare, Obamacare is staring a much, you straight in the face. It's a much better example, but David is stupid and doesn't think of things. <laughs> So anyway, and 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 one of the best ways of calling out Obamacare is not just to point out that it's a heritage uh, foundation policy, to point out that it's Romney Care with some expanded Medicaid. So it had to have a catchy name any way you cut it, right? Yeah. Um, so thank you, Nathan, for reminding me of that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, you know, she calls. She says China's zero COVID policy is causing inflation. I can't even begin to try to figure out how. China's COVID policies are raising gas prices. I don't. I don't even know how to. I can't wrap well, my head David, around that. They're not. They're locked down, so they're not producing the gas that they produce. Of course, of course, um, of course. Along with that, you know, the Ukrainian war uh, rages on. Although it, again, fog of war is really prominent here, right? Because Western, you know propaganda is going to be it's it, a mess russian propaganda is an overblown thing in the west but it's not like russia is gonna you know try to be honest to a fault themselves um no. and so fog of war is going to get really really messy um everybody's got a different map basically what's agreed on is most of the the southeast you know donbass the entire kind of azov bay area um towards odessa not necessarily all the way to odessa uh is controlled by russia most of the west of Ukraine and the center of Ukraine is, is, you know, not really invaded is, is controlled by Ukrainian forces, which I don't think Russia was trying to take over the country or they would have invaded in a much different pattern. And then there's, there's some news that supposedly Ukraine has reached the Russian border past Kharkiv, but I, I only saw that from a couple very, I mean, there was like Newsweek. It's very adamant Western sources, but I didn't really see a lot of that. But everybody's got, you know, different map and things, but Russia doesn't seem to be in a panic about it. And then this is not Ukraine being fully captured, but Ukraine's main fighters that felt like they've been defeated a hundred times and don't seem to die because they're just shipped new people and, and weapons from the West. Uh, the people that we keep being told are they're, they're just a small fraction of politics and, and we're overblowing the Nazi president, even though the Nazis are also, you know, Pravi Sector and, and Adar and, and Svoboda and all that. Uh, the very famous Azov Battalion. First, I saw it reported as they were packing up and leaving and ending operations um, in Mariupol. And then everyone was like, well, then why are they going into the Russian territory to do that? Which means either they're being lied to and they're secretly invading, but everyone can see it, which isn't a very good secret, or they've been captured as prisoners of war and have completely failed. And I think I've seen... I really hope it's the latter. I've seen messaging leaning towards the latter. So overall war, how each country is doing, when this finally scales down to less people dying, I don't know. But one good thing we all certainly hoped would come out of this is the defeat of Azov. And it seems like 
again, while they're not the only faction there, that has at least functionally finally happened from the sources I am seeing. But caveat, fog of war. Okay. Um, <laughs> also, <laughs> interesting. Um, oh, actually, before we get into too much good news, right? I, I want to end on a positive note. So I, I've got to do one more bit of bad news. Okay. Do you remember Hurricane Maria? hit Puerto Rico 2017 Um, and the United States basically forced Puerto Rico explicit U S colony, right? Um, Kind of along the lines of Guam, kind of along the lines of what Hawaii was before it was given statehood. And and again, that's just more entrenched colonization. Hawaii getting saved is not good. We've seen red Hill. We know the prison population is abundantly, you know, filled with native Hawaiians. We know rich white people go there and just buy up, land that by treaty they're not supposed to have access to right if you remember you know i mean puerto rico's colonized like hawaii was before statehood and don't get me wrong that's a much more you know complete colonization statehood it's not it's not freedom or some huge gain of rights you at least get a, a you know a token senator and 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 get to have your own little sort of local state government rather than just a, a governor of towns but you know, the prison is, is densely populated with Native Hawaiians, probably the most, you know, extreme population of anywhere in the United States of any ethnic group. Um, you know, you have Red Hill tragedy we just talked about. You have tourists coming in and bringing COVID over. Um, you have, you know, rich people like Mark Zuckerberg buying up, you know, sacred lands that are treaty protected to belong to indigenous people, whatever. He's just buying it. You know, it's it's not decolonization, but Puerto Rico doesn't even have that, right? And they were basically forced to pay a billion dollars to have their electricity fixed, not paid by the U.S. because they're they're U.S. you know territory, but paid by Puerto Rico to the U.S. to be given oh, to a private com- company to uphold their electric grid. And the last 11 months have seen several terrible blackouts and problems. And in the southeast town of... Uh, Humasau, which is like far, it, it, it's the farthest southeast, you know, city in, in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. right? It's not one of the big uh-huh. five, but it's one of the bigger cities in Puerto Rico and it's spaced out from the other ones. There was a major electrical explosion the other day. So, um, actually, it might have just been yesterday. Um, so, you know, obviously, there's a lot of problems going on there. We need to, to keep an eye out and lend any kind of solidarity we can um, with, you know, Puerto Rican people and also fight alongside their decolonial struggle and um, them being able to not have the worst run electrical grid that they've ever had um, following a hurricane because the United States are just colonizing bastards, right? Um and then I think the last thing I hate to, to to move on so fast, like we're grinding gears, but we're you know we're half an hour in. This is an current events episode, and and I do have a bit of of kind of good news. Um, so this doesn't mean the end of sanctions. Um, necessarily, hopefully it, it does. This doesn't mean like magical protection, you know. Again, like Gaddafi was selling oil to the United States, and and you saw what happened to him. But Venezuela has been under some brutal sanctions for years, has been attacked thoroughly uh, by U.S. propaganda, um, and the U.S. suddenly, after this war, has had to run around with its tail between its legs, starting to beg countries for oil. And so the U.S. has kind of finally had to grovel up to Venezuela with an, oh, 
we're sorry. And, <laughs> and, uh, so how, how set in stone it is, what the final details of it, when it goes into effect, are all still up in the air. But per Delcy Rodriguez, who is the vice president of Venezuela, um, hi, Nicholas Maduro. Um, it is at least confirmed that Venezuela has a deal in the works to, open up oil sales to the U.S. and Europe. Apparently, Europe, because of sanctions, could not buy oil from Venezuela. I figured as much, but I didn't realize how extreme that was, that Venezuela would be excited to open the European market as well. Uh, but the United States and Europe have a deal in the works where Venezuela can sell oil again to them. So Sitgo will once again benefit the Venezuelan people rather than just be robbed away from them like like the TikTok of gas stations. Um, Good. God, that is absolutely good news. That is, to that end is, on. yes, that is, that is fantastic news. Again, I don't know how good when it's in effect, what, what that will mean in practice, but out, outstanding news. And last but not least in the news, Nathan brings you, uh, a, a reading from George W. Bush. <laughs> oh boy. And the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. Iraq. Anyway. Uh. Okay. I'm hoping that came through for everybody. Uh, it was um, a little quiet. It was a little quiet. Okay. Uh, hold on one second. Because really, I, I apologize, David. I, I really, really, really want to get this. Okay, okay. We're we're gonna pretend like we're good at this whole podcasting thing. Here we go. In Russia, and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Okay, I think we get just that was George Bush ripping on Vladimir Putin for invading a country. That was George Bush. George Bush. (laughs) That was George W. Bush. Literally, if it didn't come through, so this is the edit for those for if case it didn't go through. Uh, George George Herbert Walker no just Walker I forget which one of those fuckers has the weird name George Walker Bush got up at a speech to denounce Vladimir Putin and said out loud it is uh, it is unwise for or what was the exact quote god damn it from the decision of one, one the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq pause I mean of Ukraine. He literally said the thing out loud. And then laughed it off. I I have no words. I I know it's it's Napoleon telling someone it's wholly unjustified to take hold of a democratic revolution and turn it into a dictatorship um, for warmongering. It's, 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 you know, Hitler coming to the microphone to rip on someone else's anti-Semitism. It's the most ridiculous fucking shit imaginable from one of the biggest ghouls that have ever lived. And he literally said the quiet part 
He he his his flub. I his I can't believe that was a flub. I think that was meant to be a, a, a no. oops a daisy joke. Which again, who are you joking to? Who are you winking and nodding to there? Uh, if it, it is it is either he is exactly who he has always been, which is the dumbest man alive and incapable of speaking the Queen's English, or two. That's a joke to them. Yeah, and I don't know which one's worse. That's a joke to them, and I don't genuinely know which is worse. I have no idea. I don't. By the way, reminder, the Iraqi people still are are under U.S. occupation. They have not. The U.S. has pulled out of Afghanistan, not Iraq. I mean, we mentioned that earlier, right, with U.S. forever wars, and, and when we're wondering... Did Biden pull out of Afghanistan worrying about like, oh, it's going to be there for 20 years and it's going to be bad for for reelection. And it turned out very much. Nope. He just wants to reallocate the troops to, to Somalia and the and the funds and weapons to Ukraine. Um, uh, we are still in Iraq still mm-hmm. like that. I, we're still there. Right. Yep. We're still in Syria protecting the oil fields. We're, we're still sending our little puppet Israel to bomb Syria. <laughs> what the fuck? What the actual fuck? And now, your mandated 30 minutes of reading. <laughs> give or take. Yes, sir. Look, Can I have week, some more? Last week, we got through 20-something pages. We did. You're getting a shorter one this week. It's all in the balance. We know exactly how many episodes we need, and we space these out intentionally like this to make sure we don't get too far ahead or behind. We, this is all well planned out. <laughs> Nothing is being done in the seat of our pants. Absolutely not. We knew exactly uh, how many minutes would be current events, which episodes. Exactly. We are, oh, God, we're so good at this. So, jumping back to uh, Blood in My Eye, page 99, second paragraph down. All black people, wherever they are, whatever their crimes, even crimes against other blacks, are political prisoners because the system has dealt with them differently than with whites. Can we? Why do you get the Can we? Yeah. Can we reread just that sentence once again? Emphasize. I'd love to. Emphasize whatever their crimes, even crimes against other blacks, especially the whatever their crimes parts. Okay. Yeah. All black people, wherever they are, whatever their crimes, even crimes against other blacks, are political prisoners because the system has dealt with them differently than with whites. Whitey gets the benefit of every law, every loophole, and the benefit of being judged by his peers, other white people. Blacks don't get the benefit of any such jury trial by peers. Such a trial is almost a cinch to result in the conviction of a black person, and it's a conscious political decision that blacks don't have those benefits. Howard Moore, a junior attorney official of the court, but not for the court. He's in a position to know. He's honest, black, and dedicated enough to tell. The purpose of the chief representative in repressive institutions within the totalitarian capitalist state is clearly to discourage and prohibit certain activity, and the prohibitions are aimed at a very distinctly defined sectors of the class and race-sensitized society. The ultimate expression of law is not order, it's prison. There are hundreds upon hundreds of prisons and thousands upon thousands of laws, yet there is no social order, no social peace. Anglo-Saxon bourgeois law is tied fine firmly into economics. One can even pick out that out of those vital statistics. 
Bourgeois law protects property relations and not social relationships. The cultural traits of capitalist society that also tend to check activity, individualism, artificial politeness, juxtaposed to an aloof rudeness, the rush to learn how to instead of what is, are secondary, really. And intended for those mild cases and groups that those mild cases and groups that require preventative measure only the law and everything that interlocks with it was constructed for poor, desperate people like me. Yeah. And Jonathan, my. Oh, yeah. Oh, again. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that that I mean, that sentence last sentence speaks volumes. Right. You know, these are are important ways of ruling society when they talk about, you know, individualism, right? And individualism just opposed to individuality. I'm not saying individuality is not something that was expressed against the collective and, and you know, not used by the CIA explicitly in creative writing um, programs in, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, a little American history there. Um, but individuality itself, though, while, you know, st- Centering in fiction can sometimes draw people into individualist ideas. It's not inherently bad, right? Being people being able to express them, their culture, their gender, who they are, that's a good thing, right? Individualism is the belief in the one, right? These are my accomplishments. I did this. My life will go as well or as poorly as I say. I deserve the things I've earned, right? You know, you may be comfortable while your neighbor is starving, but I've worked hard. I deserve these things. Why should I have to give to them? That's individualism, right? Um, of course, artificial politeness juxtaposed to aloof rudeness. You're not allowed to express when things are wrong. And when you are, you're seen as rude. You're seen as uppity. Uh, you're seen, you know, as not being humble, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the le- rush to learn how instead of what is, right? The the rush to be a good worker and 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 do what you're asked and trained to do things, not learn the fine arts and be a full human being. Those are all important, but like you said, they're secondary, right? Those th- that's keeping the masses, you know, in in kind of caged in, and that's important to them, right? Propaganda is a big big deal. Um, you know, like, like Parenti says, people always go, they don't care what they, they don't care what thing. And Parenti's like, that's all they care about you is what you think. They don't care if you live. They don't care if you die. They just care what you think. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's the broad masses. And most of those are people in the middle. You know, they're not going to be in a vanguard. Right. Or they may already be reactionary. They're not going to be the opposition. The opposition, those who are really downtrodden, those who are potential radicals, those who would bring about the revolution. They have to crack down on those people. And that's, that's what's done, right? They have to keep the racial hierarchy. They have to keep the gender hierarchy. They have to keep, um, the class hierarchy intact so they stay on top and they have to enforce that violently. Absolutely. Jonathan, my younger brother, understood this point perfectly. The purport of the raid on the Marin County Courthouse was more significant by far than its calculable effects. I knew him well since he was and still is my alter ego. He went to liberate and to educate with aggressive and free action. He knew that he was, that as he proceeded in liberating, there would be more action. He wasn't a speechmaker and neither am I. Escape from the myth, the hoax, by moving people into action against the terror of the state. Counterterrorism is the real significance of the August 7th affair. To Jonathan, the striking exposure was audacity, audacity, and more audacity. Theory and practice, strategy and tactics were based in his mind on actual confrontation within this particular historical development. 
He must have calculated that Foco Army activity that was hidden and nameless, operating where the objective conditions of revolution already existed and had existed for a dozen decades, would survive and grow if at the same time the Black Panther political apparatus continued to develop its autonomous infrastructure. Proof of his theory was built right into the action. Five desperate men were offered arms as a means to freedom. Three took them. Proof of the role of law within this totalitarian-authoritarian relationship was also built into the action. In a fit of reckless, mindless gunfire, 100 automated goons shot through the bodies of a judge, district attorney, and three female noncombatants to reestablish control over all activity. To prevent certain actions, no cost in blood is too high. It would seem that so much free fire would be difficult to explain, but it is not. Freedoms are invariably being protected with this gunfire. Freedom must then be interpreted a thousand separate ways, but it actually comes down to freedom for a few families and their friends, freedom to prey upon the world. Yeah, and, and again, we've talked about it all the time, right? We, we always talk about freedom for who, freedom for who. It's freedom to exploit. It's freedom to exploit land and colonize. It's freedom to exploit workers. It's freedom to own, to continue to rule. It's freedom of opulence. It's freedom of control. It's freedom for them. It's, them. it's not freedom for you. And then as he says above, too, you know, what, what I was just mentioning, the Parenti quote, he doesn't care if you, Parenti doesn't care if you say, you know, the bleh, Parenti says the U.S. ruling class doesn't care if you live or die, but they care absolutely what you think, right? Um, and we can Ooh. see that, you know, they, they'll they propagandize people against Ukraine and they won't really bring up, you know, Somalia, right? But they're not really going to stop the mass shooters. They're not really going to, you know, make sure baby formula is made. They're not really going to prevent COVID, right? The, there is no cost in blood that is too high in the same thing. You know, his brother Jonathan died in a hail of gunfire that killed three civilians, that killed a judge and a DA, and that killed, you know, him and, and those he was trying to escape, right? Um, no cost of blood is too high. I mean, we, we were just talking about the Iraq war, for Christ's sake. Yep. Acceptance of enslavement is deeply buried in the pathogenic character types of capitalism. It is a result of the sense of dread and anxiety, which is which is the lot of all men under capitalist rule. Compulsive behavior and disordered obsessional longings are actually made synonymous with character in our disordered society. But to emphasize these conditions before examining the institutions from which they spring is to confuse effect with cause and further cloud the point of attack. So far, cultural analysis has established that the psychosis is so ingrained, the institutions so centralized, that what is needed is total revolution. The armed struggle between the have-nots with their vanguard and the haves with their hirelings or macabre freaks that live with them, live through them. Civil war between at least these two sections of the population is the only purgative. Total revolution must be aimed at the purposeful and absolute destruction of the state and all present institutions. The destruction carried out by by the so-called psychopath, the outsider, whose only remedy is destruction of the system. This organized massive violence directed at the source of thought control is the only realistic therapy. Analysis of the oppressed mentality and the psychopathic relationship personality that accrue from contact with the provocations of American culture must be carefully integrated with the analysis of the source. Simple interpretation of effects tends to calcify. It certainly promotes defeatism. Action makes the front. One can quietly refuse to accept the constrictions of bourgeois culture, can reject himself, hate the self, and turn inward. By so doing, he accomplishes a form of individual revolt. But here again, we find another unconscious manifestation of the thing we hate, individualism, a now attitudinal instrumentality of bourgeois culture. We cannot escape, 
One simply cannot reject constrictions without rejecting and putting to death the constrictor. An armed attacker cannot be ignored. Gandhi and the gurus were all abject fools. I would certainly be dead if when critical flashpoints matured, I hadn't backed my rejection with blows. I would have hate, I would hate to have been a Vietnamese in my lie without arms. I hate encounters like the one my, at my last court appearance, April 6th, 1971, when the enemies who attacked me had all the weapons. I would hate to run into the freaks who have Mike Hammer slash J. Edgar Hoover complexes without being armed. My pledge is to arms. My enemies are institutions and any men with vested interest in them, even if that interest is only a wage. If the revolution means civil war, I accept. And the sooner begun, the sooner done. And I apologize if I'm just railing us again. This is already a short episode. It's going to be a miracle if you make it two pages. But something we talked about is, is you know, I mean, George very matter-of-factly just includes huge amounts of theory packed into a sentence right because he's i mean this is these are letters he's writing to comrades he's expecting you to keep up right and Mm -hmm. so when he's just talking about like you know my pledges to arms my enemies are institutions and any men with vested interest in them even if that interest is only a wage we've talked about this time and time again right people always act in their interest so if you're thinking someone is acting against their interest you're not properly gauging what interest they're acting in the name of now does that mean that's their best interest no i mean people people are trained like like lab mice to some degree right you know they'll take whatever's in front of them whatever they're scared to lose far more than than whatever they expect to gain right um or something that seems like a a secure gain they'll take over morality or long-term gains or long-term power this is one of the hardest parts of revolution right this is why people sell out this is why white people stabbed black people in the back after the civil war the poor white people right is that their vested interest in in maintaining whiteness above the slaves was suddenly more than their vested interest against the planters and there were times where that waned but in the end it didn't and white people populated you know the police units and and you know conducted the race riots and were very brutal um, to black people in, in lynch mobs, right? Um, and so that that constantly happens. And anyone who takes up that interest, George is just matter of factly saying, "You're my enemy," right? If you put your small personal gain over the revolution, I don't care if that's not actually in your best interest, and it was foolish of you to do it. You've taken up those arms. You're my enemy. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. End, end of story, right? He also talks about um, cause and effect, and and I think I've talked about this before, um, but I don't know, so I just want to touch on it in case I haven't. A lot of people, they, they hear the expression correlation doesn't equal causation, right? Mm-hmm. And have I talked about this before, before I get too into it? Not, not, not to my knowledge, no. Okay, okay. So they do correlation equals causation, and there's several ways that can manifest, right? There could be that things correlate and one may cause it, but we don't know which direction that causation is without evidence. It could be that we have the causation backwards. It could be that two things are correlated from the same cause, but neither one causes the other, or it could be that two things are unrelated. And when people hear correlation doesn't equal causation for simple stuff, they always think about things being unrelated, right? They'll hear something like, well, you know, the sun rises every morning and every morning my back is sore so my back must be sore because the sun rises right and it's like okay you know obviously that correlation isn't that causation right but they don't think about directional causation or things like that right so if we have two things that correlate but we don't know 
which one causes the other. We can't say one is the causation of the other one. We can just say they're, they're correlated. Um, but also there's things that go the other way. Um, you know, you can say like, okay, well, you know, socialist countries are always accused by capitalist countries of, you know, human rights abuses and, and things like that, right? And people think of socialist countries as evil. So obviously, you know, people must think of average people in capitalist countries must think of socialist countries uh, or must. Yeah. See, now I'm getting myself all mixed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're saying capitalist countries must have leaders that accuse socialist countries of these things because their population must already believe these socialist countries are evil. Well, that's backwards, right? It's those accusations that cause the regular citizens to think those countries are evil, you know, and, exactly. and people don't even think of that when they think about constructing their own beliefs. And so it is very important to realize that correlation and causation are are even when they're interrelated can still be flipped backwards and there's a few times in this book i feel like george jackson has been like no you can't just analyze results you have to dig in and look at the evidence and and figure out the cause right yeah and just to finish out this chapter Mm -hmm. i don't think the enemy can be identified any more carefully than this further identification must be made in the process i feel elated that my brother died with two guns in his hand I'm going to miss him and all the others, though death in our situation is only a release. I miss people intensely. I miss him intensely. But he and the others who sought freedom died at the throat of the principal repressive institution of the empire. They died making real attempts at freedom. I paraphrase Castro on trial after Moncada. I warn you, gentlemen, I have only begun. I I will also say, too, when he paraphrases Castro on trial after Moncada, that is... That is an incredibly short quote. Uh, that is the trial where he gave the famous history will absolve me speech. And Oh, good. Yeah. So. <laughs> and he was right. He was, See, always listen to Fidel. Yeah, so he was right. And as part of that speech, and, and I love that, that George took out this specific phrase, uh, you know, he had, I warn you, gentlemen, I've only begun. <laughs> yeah. Uh And we will be picking up next week on page 105 toward the United Front. Interesting title. Mm -hmm. We shall see what this means. Uh, (laughs) But that being said, that will be a a lesson we learn next week. Uh, At the end of this week, though, there are we are Mark's Madness Pod and we read books. And there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us. The first of which is through email. Our email is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. If you wanted to reach out to us on Twitter because you hate yourself and use that website too, uh, you can do it. We're at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Uh, and if you look at our Twitter bio, you will see a link to our Discord server. That is where Nathan spends most of his time hanging out and reading and uh, listening to book club, learn about stuff because I'm already in one book club. All right. I got a lot of book club stuff going on. Uh, but book club is working, uh, working their way through always different books that we're reading. So it's always a great time to hop in there. If you'd like even more, you know, reading with a group, uh, different books from what we're reading. You just, yeah. Yeah. Again, no one normally correct you, but that changed, that changed the meaning. So I didn't want to confuse people. Oh yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and that's, that's, that's about it on that one. We play video games. We hang out and watch bad TV sometimes. It's, it's a good time. You should join. Um, that being said, David, I think it's time for a disclaimer. Yeah. I didn't actually do any reading today, so I might as well do a disclaimer, right? (laughs) (laughs) You did work. (laughs) 
Um, so obviously a long time ago, Nathan came up to me and wanted to read Capital. Um, that's the first book we, we have on our podcast for that reason. And, and we always tell new listeners, you know, please start at State and Revolution. That's where our, our good work starts. And of course, throughout all of that there, you can see all kinds of political growth from us, just like anybody else. So don't think if you go back and listen to anything, it's like, oh, they said this one thing. They, you know, that must have never changed for sure. Um, but. We started reading Capital, and Nathan had come up to me for that to read it as a group because any work of theory, any work of history, you want to be reading it as a group. You want to make sure that you know you're looking back over it, helping make sure you 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 know understand it and retain it. Um, you're talking about it, how it relates to you, what it means to you, uh, refining that understanding in a discussion group, in a political education group, and what our vision was um, from then when we started recording it because we thought a group of two is kind of small and and went ahead and made it a podcast was that hopefully you're out there and you're in a party you're in an organization and you guys have a reading group have a political education group that is reading these works along with us and hopefully we can be another voice another source of input for those groups uh, let's say that's not happening and you're reading these works on your own because your group's doing something shorter something more related to a project they're on um, or local your, your local region something like that hopefully we can be that reading group we can give you all those benefits of of a reading group, you know, the extra view, the extra input, the context, everything like that. And let's say that's not happening. And, um, you know, you're just listening to this to get the books, whether it's one like this, where we're reading it word for word, kind of like an enhanced ebook, or whether it's one that we kind of summarize chapter by chapter, section by section. Uh, hopefully, um, we just want to get these works out there to you, and we want them out there guiding your actions. Uh, anytime you put these works of theory into revolutionary action, uh, that's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, by definition, of course, can't exist without theory. Theory is guiding it, and theory is completely useless without that praxis. They go hand in hand. They're tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.